Sylvester was giving a party. His guests toiled up flight after flight of dark stairs. Jane was so accustomed to the smell of cats and ammonia on the stairs, there was a muse below, that she hardly noticed where they left off and where the expensive smells of Sylvester's rooms began. She had been there very often this summer, for Sylvester preferred to entertain in his own rooms to entertaining in restaurants or nightclubs. It is more me, he would say, and much cheaper and much better. Don't you agree? And here his friends would agree with enthusiasm. His food and drink were always good. Not that Jane minded about food or drink either, so long as she could have enough drink. If you have always fed on the rarer and more expensive forms of food, you will, by the time you are 28, have developed an intelligence about food. Or else you simply won't mind. Jane simply didn't mind. And her favourite drink was brandy. Brandies and sodas, followed by a mass of liqueur brandies rolling pleasantly in their large hot glasses. It was not for Sylvester's good food and drink that Jane came to see him whenever she was asked, and often she was not asked. It was because she hoped on and on, in the face of constant disappointment, that Sylvester would put her in a book or in a play. She could never realise that the people Sylvester put in his life, he did not put in either his books or in his plays. When he told her this, he hoped that the flattery implied in the remark about his life might assuage her dismal greed for seeing herself as she wished him to see her. But although he spoke to her softly and cunningly, Jane, you know I never put the people who matter to me in my books, she would answer only, Oh, you are horrible to me, in her rich Southern American voice, so teeming with feeling and so barren of words. Yet, in spite of his reluctance to enclose the substance of her flesh and her spirit forever in an aspic of words, Sylvester continued to be very sweet to Jane. Although his new review was playing to good business and his last book doing well, the moment might yet arrive when he would require to borrow money from Jane, or at any rate make use of her cars or her houses, or any of the many benefits which Providence spends on very rich young women that very poor young men may thereby profit a little. It was two years now since Sylvester had ceased to be a very poor young man, but he had not quite yet lost the habit. He was genuinely economical just as he was genuinely a good writer and a competent playwright. But Jane was genuine in nothing. He believed even her complete stupidity was partly a pose of mind. How much her affectation for Jessica was a pose, a queer piece of exhibitionism, that he did not know. Jessica and Jane were in Sylvester's bedroom now, painting up their faces for the party. Sylvester's bedroom was all shape and no colour. It was decorated in brown and grey and black. Jane always thought it inconceivably dreary, but Jessica, who thought she knew about house decoration, went into sullen rapture over the lighting. She struggled to impart her feeling to Jane in chosen, difficult words. She always worked hard and deliberately for words, but Jane only said, I'll say it's horrible. I'll always say so. Jessica looked at Jane standing there in the colourless space of Sylvester's room. She looked at her and looked away again and back again. 
She's such a good shape, she thought quickly, clothing for herself in words some indefinable excitement. Wherever she is, she makes her own pattern. In the grey and black and brown room, no doubt, Jane did look well, for her lines were faintly geometric, as though flesh had been put on her body only to be ruled off again with extreme exactitude. Her bones were no more than small enough to justify the theory that she was ghost-like, not gaunt. As it was, she escaped that unattractive state of body by very little. Her coarse, fair hair was a lovely blanched colour, and she arranged it with much care like a little girl's. Sometimes, when in a particularly girlish mood, she would even tie a piece of it up with a ribbon. But it was the scar of her hair lip that gave to Jane's face its peculiar and distant expression of sadness. 